When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by MyBookie. Use code SICKPIX for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. Marinero, the SICK Podcast. Hockey fans, wait till you see what we have in store for you today. Today's show is going to be absolutely awesome. Today's guest is brought to you by Memo.me, the Canadian marketplace for personalized video messages from your favorite athletes and celebrities for any occasion. Use the code SICK at checkout. For 10% off on video messages, some examples of celebrities available on Memo are hockey legends Wendell Clark and Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Toronto Raptors play-by-play broadcaster Jack Armstrong, as well as today's guest, Pierre Maguire. Good afternoon, Pierre. Tony, awesome to visit with you. I got to tell you, I've been doing Memo since the end of November 2020, and it's been unbelievable to interact with the fans on the Memo thing. It's been fantastic. I really enjoy it. Well, it's going to be a joy for us to speak with you today, Pierre. Talking hockey, we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. And last night, the New York Rangers scored seven goals in the second period and beat the Philadelphia Flyers by a score of nine to nothing. Pierre, as someone uh, who's coached, which is you, I have to ask you, when you lose a game by a score of nine to nothing, and I don't know what's the worst loss you've ever suffered in a hockey game, but for a coach, is a loss a loss? Or does that one hurt so much? Or is it actually easier to forget about because you know it's a one and done? Well, first of all, in the case of the Philadelphia Flyers, Tony, and the New York Rangers, the Philadelphia Flyers have to get back on their horse tonight. They're playing against the Islanders out on Long Island. And if they look at the schedule, they're out of the playoffs right now, the Flyers are. And they better pay attention because if they lose a game tonight, the Boston Bruins are playing in Buffalo. You have to think they're going to win. The Philadelphia or the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins are playing in New Jersey. They have a pretty good chance of winning. So for the Flyers, this is almost a must win. In terms of the coaching staff, you probably try to let it go as quick as possible. The most disappointing thing, I think, from that loss, those guys quit. They quit probably after they were down 3 nothing, And that's something that they're going to have to sort out, not as a coaching staff, but from player to player, Tony. That wasn't a good enough effort from the entire team. They'll have to sort that out amongst themselves. Pierre, you just talked about the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are third in the division, 11th in the National Hockey League. And look, they, they, they've won their cups. They've won three of them. And as long as you have Crosby and Malkin, I guess you can always hope and aspire to win a next one. But at one point, they're going to have to start thinking about their future. This is an organization who has traded away 
a lot of young players and a lot of prospects. Pierre, would you give this core one more crack at it before maybe doing something in the offseason? Is that what Ron Hextall should do? Yes or no and why? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. I think there's a lot of merit to the question, Tony. The answer is yes, I would give the core another year. Uh, they're training in the right direction. Getting Brian Dumoulin back really helped them a lot. Tony, I'll give you an example. Brian Dumoulin missed 15 games for the Penguins this year. Their record was 8-7. and seven. He's been back seven games now. Their record is 6-1. and one. He makes a huge difference for that team, especially for Christopher Letang, who's still part of that core that you're alluding to. So if I were Ronnie Hextall and Brian Burke, I would definitely give this group another opportunity to try to win the Cup this year. This is a funky kind of season, as you know, with COVID, Tony. So it's a little bit different. But I would definitely give them an opportunity. Knowing Brian and knowing Ron, they're going to get real proactive in terms of the long-term programming this summer once the season's over. I really believe that. Pierre, Sidney Crosby has gone on record as saying that he wants to finish his career as a Pittsburgh Penguin. On record, I wouldn't expect him to say otherwise. Off record, he would probably even tell you the same thing. But I have to ask you, and I understand the importance, Pierre, of having players finish their career where it started. Players like Mario Lemieux, players like Steve Eiserman, the list goes on and on. But if you were Ron Hextall, would you sit down with Sidney Crosby at the end of the year and ask him what he wants to do if it hasn't been done already? Well, I think you have to do that no matter what. Every team has exit interviews, especially when you have new management. So I think that's going to be really important. I think Mike Sullivan has to ask Sidney Crosby the same thing. They have to ask Pat Brisson, the agent for Sidney Crosby, the same thing. So I think you're on to something there. But usually when you have end-of-the-year debriefs or exit interviews, you ask the player, what's your long-term plan? Where do you think you fit? Uh, how do you think the team is building? Can we build around you? You ask the pertinent questions. And if you do that, chances are it's going to work out. I believe Sidney. I take him at his word. I've known him a long time, as you know. And uh, if he says he wants to start and finish in Pittsburgh, he deserves the opportunity to do that. I will never forget Nick Lidstrom, the great Nick Lidstrom, starting in Detroit and finishing in Detroit. I will never forget that. He could have left many times. I think the reason why Raymond Bork, just to bring it to another level, the reason why Raymond Bork left Boston, he knew they were going to win the Cup. He wanted an opportunity to win the Cup. The late Pierre Lacroix identified him as being a key component for Colorado if they were going to win the Cup. And they made that deal, and it worked out fantastically well for Raymond and for Colorado. Pierre, you talked about exit interviews, and uh, and I know you were a part of many when working, of course, as part of a coaching staff in the National Hockey League and much more than that. But you have been interviewed for several GM jobs in the National Hockey League. I, I'd love if you can take me, because I've always wondered what it would be like, what the interviews would be like how hard the questions are, how challenging they are, how much thinking. Do you have to show up with notes? Do you have to show up with a plan? Can you take me behind the scenes as to what those GM job interviews look like? Oh, yeah. No, they're really intense. Um, it depends on the management team that you're speaking with or the ownership group that you're speaking with when you go into the interview. First of all, you don't get very many face-to-faces to begin with. Most of them are done via the phone. And then if you make the cut, there's usually about 10 to 12 people in the job pool, maybe sometimes a few more, but not many more. So you usually have a phone call interview, and that can go anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours. I was on one once that went three and a half hours. Um, and then they say, well, we'll get back in touch with you. If it takes a long time for them to get back in touch with you, Tony, chances are you didn't make the cut on the phone interview. Usually they call you back a day or two afterwards, and they say, we'd like you to come in for a face-to-face. -face. So then you go in for a face-to-face. Then if it really works out well, they call you back for another interview. Now, sometimes 
they just find their guy right away. So all those other people that interviewed, no matter how great they were, they were said, thank you for coming, told, thank you for coming, but you're not going to be part of the job pool. Um, I will give you one quick snippet. Recently, I, uh, probably around seven months ago, I interviewed for a manager's job. The first interview was on the phone. Second, they flew me from Boston to New York to meet at a different location. Uh, third, they asked me to come back and I met them again. Then there was a phone interview. And after the phone interview, they said, would you send in your 150-day plan? And I said, I'm not really comfortable sending in my written work, not knowing if I'm getting a job or not. Nonetheless, they said, why are you afraid of that? And I said, well, I'm not afraid of it, but I'm just telling you, I got a bad feeling here. If I send you my plan, you might use it and I don't get the job. <clears throat> Anyways, I sent the job, the first 150-day plan in, and uh, I got a phone call back and they said, we're going in another direction. So you got to be very careful when you're giving out all this information because sometimes it's a fishing expedition for the ownership groups. Pierre, what do they ask on the phone in that first conversation? What are your organizational philosophies? What are your standards? Uh, what type of players do you like? What type of team do you want to have? How much do you know about our market? Uh, what do you think of our ownership group? Uh, what do you think of our team as it's built now? Who's a player that you think needs to be traded off our roster? Who's a player you want to keep? What do you think of our coaching staff? How good is our scouting staff? Those are a lot of the questions that you get when you're in those interviews. All right. I don't know how much you want to go into this, but I know that you've talked about it before. It's no secret that you were interviewed for the Montreal Canadiens general manager's job uh, when that job was given out back in May of 2012. Um, I have to ask you, Pierre, if you can, as part of that interview process, um, were you asked for uh, different philosophies or different things you would do? Or, for example, if I say to you, a rebuild, was it something that was on the table or is it something that you're told is not on the table? Well, I'll, I'll give you the whole process. I'm very comfortable doing that. I think the, the world of Jeff Molson, uh, I had a chance to coach him briefly at St. Lawrence University when he was a young up-and-coming player. I've known his family forever. I had his boys at my hockey camps in Boston. Uh, my son grew up playing in Montreal with one of the Molson boys. So I, I know the family really well. I have no problem sharing. The first interview I had was on the phone with Jeff Molson and a, an attorney. Uh, I was in Pittsburgh doing a playoff series. And so that was my first interview. The second one, I did another phone interview. Then I was asked to meet them face-to-face, -face, which I did. So every interview part of the process got more elongated and more forceful. And then finally, I met at the, uh, at the airport uh, Marriott Hotel in Montreal with Serge Savard, Kevin Gilmore, um, an attorney for the Canadians, and Jeff Molson. And uh, we were asked lots of different questions. And so philosophy was part of it. Uh, where I thought the team was. They thought at the time the team was capable of competing, Tony, for a Stanley Cup. I wasn't sure about that. They asked me what I would do with the third overall pick in the draft that year. They took uh, Galchenyuk, um, third overall. They asked me what I thought of Galchenyuk. I said that I was not nearly as big a fan as maybe some of the scouts were. Uh, I thought that I would, if I did come there, I would think about trading the third overall pick. I've shared that publicly before. I have no problem sharing that with you now. Um, but that's, you know, that's almost 10 years ago. But I, I really felt that in order for the team to take the next step and be proactive in their rebuild, they needed certain types of NHL players that were established. They didn't have a lot of depth on defense, Tony, as you remember, and yeah. they didn't have a lot of depth at center at that time, and they didn't have a lot of size. So I wanted to try to address those three things in a very quick amount of time to get the team going in the right direction.
Well, they had just finished last in the East and third overall in the league. So I would imagine things weren't all that great. But I'm curious when you say they thought they had a competitive team. So at that point, when they say that to you, do you automatically think I can't even talk about a rebuild, even if I think that because I probably have to tell them what they want to hear? Yes or no? I did. I did not ever. I've never gone into an interview telling what they want to hear. I go in there telling straight up facts, how I would present it if I were running the team. And maybe that's why I haven't got some of the jobs. I've gone right to the wire on, you know, uh, I've been the runner up at least three or four times now. So I, I just lay it out there and tell it the way it is, because I really believe having gone through leaving a Stanley cup championship team to go to another organization, which I was told one thing. And then when I got there, it was a completely other thing. I became a little bit wary of how the process works. So my biggest recommendation to anybody is lay it out there. Tell them exactly who you are, what you want to do, so there's no misunderstanding when you come in and there's going to be harmony and everybody's going to be singing from the same songbook. You're listening and watching the Sick Podcast brought to you by my bookie. Use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. Pierre, speaking of Montreal, and I know a lot of Canadians fans will love listening and watching this, I have to ask you two very important players on the Canadians, maybe less important this year, than they have been in the last couple of years. Phil Deneau and Thomas Tatar, their contracts are up at the end of the year. They're both unrestricted free agents. I want to start with Phil Deneau. Reportedly, he refused a six-year, $30 million contract before the season started. We're hearing, reportedly, that his campus was looking for 5.7 per year times six years because the comparable is Brock Nelson making $6 million a year. He hasn't put up the offensive numbers. How do you handle his situation at the end of the year if if you know his camp absolutely wants over $5 million? Uh, I think his camp's going to have to backtrack. Everything's changed in the reality of the hockey business now, Tony, because of COVID and the amount of financial loss that's going on around the whole league. Owners are getting decimated. You're talking about, for almost every ownership group, losses of 35 to $55 million this year. And I don't think, no matter how wealthy you are, Nobody wants to go through that. That's unbelievable financial pain. So I think the business of hockey is going to change. It's going to change for scouts. It's going to change for coaches. And it's going to change for players. Um, it broke my heart when I heard that, you know, potentially that deal was on the table. And then it, the camp refused it. I felt terrible, um, obviously, that uh, for him. I've always been a Phil Deneau fan. And I thought it was one of the better moves that Mark Bergevin made. And one of the reasons why he made that deal, Tony, as you know, he knew Deneau from Chicago. He was part of the group that drafted him, so he knew exactly what he was getting, um, and they got a very good player. I don't think Phil will get the same kind of money if he goes to free agency. Uh, it's going to be interesting because, obviously, with Suzuki and Kakaniemi there uh, and with the development of Ryan Paling potentially down the road <clears throat> and Jake Evans, it's going to be interesting down the middle for the Canadians. And does that make know the odd man out, especially when you consider spending over $100 million last summer, Tony, as you know, they put themselves in a very difficult cap predicament going yeah. forward. So that's been the problem. And you know, I've always been a, an advocate of never spending to the cap. Yeah. You always have to give yourself wiggle room. Canadians chose to go in a different direction this offseason, and the plan better work, or they're going to have some financial issues going forward. And because they're up against the cap, Pierre, it's my opinion that Thomas Tatar will not be a Montreal Canadian next season. He'll be replaced by Cole Caulfield, who'll come in on an entry-level contract. And Thomas Tatar is most likely going to walk at the end of the year for nothing. 
or should he? How would you handle that situation? Well, it, it depends on how Cole does. I got to believe Cole's going to win the Hobie Baker, which is the Heisman Trophy for college hockey. He's already been named the Big Ten Player of the Year. I mean, he, he's a phenomenal talent. He's a goal-scoring phenom. Tony, you're going to love watching him play uh, in Blue Blanc Rouge. I'll tell you that right now. He's that kind of a player. To me, the biggest thing is I think Tatar becomes expendable. This is a trend we've seen evolving around the league for a long time. You can start with Patrick Marlowe. You can move on to uh, tons of other players where near the end of their career when they were making big money, the team moved them along because they couldn't afford them anymore yeah. and they felt their better days were behind them. And that's what you're going to see a lot around the league. And I look at Patrick Maroon. I'll use him as an example, Tony. Wins the Stanley Cup in St. Louis. They can't fit him into the cap because of his demands. He moves to Tampa. He wins the cup again in Tampa. So back-to-back cups for Patrick Maroon. And he's staying in Tampa because he said, I'll work for less than a million dollars a year. So that's what happens with players that are a little bit older in their career. And that's probably going to happen to Tatar. In conversation with Pierre Maguire, go to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more. Use code SICKHOODIES15 for 15% off on all hoodies. You talked about Cole Caulfield, Pierre, and you talked about goal scoring. I want to talk to you about one man who does it better than everyone else and has for the last 15 years, Alexander Ovechkin. Pierre, when he started to get close to 700 and people said Gretzky 894, I said people are crazy if they think he's going to pass Gretzky at 894. He's now at 718, I believe. Pierre, I'm starting to think he's going to do it. As long as he doesn't get hurt and Nick Backstrom stays healthy, I think he can do it. They have a brilliant power play coach there in Blaine Forsythe. Peter Laviolette made a really good decision when he came in there to be the head coach. He didn't fire the assistant coaches. He kept them. And one of the guys he kept is Blaine Forsythe. That guy's like a Bond villain when it comes to running power plays. He's really good. And so that helps Ovechkin, obviously, power play goals. Batram's having an unbelievable year, probably the best year of his career. And so that helps Ovechkin as well, even though he doesn't play with Batram as much anymore, five on five. They use Kuznetsov a lot. But you're right, Tony, and I do think he's got a legitimate chance. He's basically been, you know, that Russian machine that can never break. That's what they call him down in in Washington. I'm paraphrasing, but he truly is. And if he stays healthy, I could see where he could really push Wayne's numbers, no question. Pierre, forget about stats for just a second if we can. In your opinion, who's the greatest pure goal scorer you've ever seen? Uh, Well, Gretzky has to be up there. Mike Bossy has to be up there. Uh, Mike Bossy was unbelievable. I, I don't think people realize how great Mike was, and that was a hard era in terms of physicality and what star players had to go through. Yarmir Yager was pretty darn special. I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him. Mario Lemieux would be up there. I never got to see Rocket Richard play live. I've only seen him on tape. I got to see Jean Beliveau and Gordy Howe, both of them, and Bobby Hall. But I, I would say that, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky and Mario have to be right up there. Phil Esposito, to me, was a great player who also scored goals, if you know what I mean. But I, I'd say the greatest goal scorer I've probably ever seen would probably be Wayne. Wow. Well, it's hard to argue with that. 894 goals, of course. Or, uh, Pierre, how did the Florida Panthers go from middle of the pack to today, statistically the second best team in the National Hockey League? Because for a lot of years they underachieved, number one. They really did. Number two, they identified the importance of getting grit and sandpaper. So Carter Verhage, not a big name, sandpaper player, gritty player, guy that plays in your face. Uh, Patrick Hornquist, not a huge name. He was the last player picked in the 2005 draft. 
used to play with the first player ever picked in that draft, Sidney Crosby. Can you imagine that? I think it's the only time in NHL history you had the last player in one draft and the first player in one draft playing the same line. But Patrick Hornquist has made a huge difference for that team. So Verhagen and Hornquist go down there. They generate physical enthusiasm. They get some guys starting to evolve in their organization. Aaron Eckblad's having an unbelievable offensive year. He's always been great defensively. But, Tony, the biggest thing to me as I'm watching it, Mackenzie Wieger, one of those guys drafted late in his draft year, kid out of Ottawa that played in the Quebec Major Junior League. He's had an unbelievable year, Tony, and he's a really good player. So you look at the internal development. Al Samuelson deserves some credit. He coaches their defense. Joel Quenville deserves credit. Obviously, one of the best coaches in the history of the NHL. But I think they were smart. They went out and got grit and toughness, and it's made their team better. Sasha, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky says right now he thinks Sasha Barkov is the best all-round player in the National Hockey League. Now, look, I get it. He's his teammate, and, of course, he's always going to vote for a teammate. But at the same time, what a season he's having. He's, he's definitely in the discussion. Nathan McKinnon would be in that discussion. Connor McDavid would be in that discussion. Austin Matthews would be in that discussion. You know, there, there's some real good players that you would put in that discussion. Um, you know, Anse Kopitar's had an amazing year in L.A. Bergeron's, again, having another year, great year in Boston. But Barkov is somebody I've always known and liked. Um, I can tell you this, when I was right up against it for the finalists of a general manager's job, that was, and you asked me, what are they asking the meeting? I said, the first thing I'm going to try to do is make a big deal with Florida to get Sasha Barkov. And uh, they were having a hard time selling tickets in Florida. I had, if I had gone to this one team, they have big name recognition type players. I would have tried to make a deal to get Barkov. Pierre, one of the things I think is the toughest job in hockey or one of the toughest jobs in hockey, I think is amateur scout. Uh, you know, you've talked about the draft and it's not an exact science and it's so hard, but and I know that players get missed every year and they fall deeper in the draft. But I, watching Minnesota play this year, I have to ask you, how did Kirill Kaprasov drop to 135 in 2015? A lot of people thought he was small. A lot of people were worried he wouldn't be able to come out because he was playing for an elite team in the in the KHL. Um, I, you know, I know you listen to when I'm on with Melnick. I've been talking about this guy for five years. Uh, he's legit. I mean, he's really that good. Uh, and he's been that good for a long time. But stuff happens, especially with Russian players, because there was – it's not animosity, but teams were afraid to make deals to try to draft players in Russia because they weren't sure they were going to be able to get them out. But he's the real deal. The, the thing that's gone on in Minnesota that's really cool to watch, Joel Eriksenet is probably the most improved center iceman in the game. If you haven't watched Minnesota, watch them. He'll stand out. Jonas Brodeen has gone from being – probably a number four defenseman to a number one or two defenseman. So that's internal development that they've had there. Dean Evison should be getting far more talk about being coach of the year. And they stabilized their goaltending, Tony, as you know. Uh, Cam Talbot coming down from Calgary has been good, but Capo Kakkonen has been unbelievable. And so you put it together, this is a team that's got good goaltending, mobility on defense, and some star power up front. He's Pierre Maguire. I'm Tony Marinaro, and this, of course, is brought to you by Memo.ca. You know, you brought up the word animosity before, and you say that. And animosity, I think John Tortorella and Patrick Liney, and maybe there's some and maybe there's none. But, Pierre, I have to – and I, I completely understand what John Tortorella is trying to do. He's trying to get his player to buy in and play the right way. I get it. But if you're the general manager of that team and you just acquired that player a couple of months ago – and his contract's up at the end of the year, and he's making almost $7 million a year. If your coach keeps butting heads with your star player, 
it's going to bring down his value, is it not? So I'm wondering here, how far can John Tortorella go with Patrick Liney? And in your, your opinion, has he gone too far? No, he definitely hasn't gone too far. There's a reason why, you know, Patrick Liney wasn't having a ton of fun in Winnipeg. Part of it was they were trying to get him to play a certain way, uh, maybe be more responsible defensively. I can tell you this. I worked with the winningest coach in the history of the National Hockey League, Scotty Bowman, and he never put shackles on any of his star players. He only had one really mandatory rule. If you lost the puck, find a way to get it back. Don't cheat on the wrong side of the puck. And so Mary Lemieux never had a problem playing for Scotty Bowman. Ronnie Francis never had a problem. Kevin Stevens never had a problem. Uh, Yarmer Yager never had a problem. Brian Trotche never had a problem. He never stifled their creativity. I don't think there's a coach in the NHL that wants to stifle your creativity. What they want you to be is responsible so that if you do lose a puck, get it back. And if you don't get it back, find a way to play defense. It's pretty simple. And, you know, some, some guys it takes a little bit longer to learn than others. So I think I got your answer, but it begs the question, would Patrick Liney have a problem with Scotty Bowman? I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think so. I can tell you this right now. You ask uh, Guy Lafleur, he had no problem playing for Scotty Bowman. He scored a lot of goals. So, no, the answer is no. I, I think I'll never forget this. I did a Dallas Stars game many, many moons ago, and uh, Mike Madonna had a tough game. He had a really tough game. And I kind of punched him in the pants a little bit on the air. But one of the things I've always done is if I do that to a player or a coach, I find a way to get to the dressing room after the game and make sure they know exactly what I said so they don't hear from second or third-hand sources. So I went to Mike after the game, and I said, can I see you for a second? And I said, hey, Mike, you know, I took a run at you today on the air. I wanted you to know that. And he says, no problem at all. I deserve it. I didn't play well. I always found that the best players wow. had no problem with stuff like that. I found that guys who were trying to find their own identity as a player, Tony, they had a problem with that. Yeah, I won't keep you for so much longer, but this has been so much fun. But I have to ask you about the Buffalo Sabres. And, and just it seems like they've been rebuilding for the last 10 years. It seems like it's not getting better. Jack Eichel obviously cannot be happy. Taylor Hall cannot be happy. The Skinner contract has become an albatross. I mean, I don't even know where to start. But if you're Buffalo, where do you start? I think ownership has to really take a, a good hard look at it and say, okay, we made a mistake. We're prepared to start over. We apologize to our fans. Um, we're going to do a thorough job getting this thing right in terms of who we hire to run the team, who we hire to coach the team, who we hire to scout for the team. And we're going to build our brand so that you're never going to have to worry about us being competitive again. It's going to take a little while, but this is what we're going to do. I really think it's incumbent upon ownership to do that, not to alienate the fans, to become partners with the fans and say, we're with you. We care about you. We want to try to help you and enjoy our product and we're going to make it as much fun as we can so this is what we're going to do and i i think until they do that you know all the yelling and screaming is not going to get it done they they got to readjust their amateur scouting they got to readjust their pro scouting they have to take a look at how they evaluate through analytics because that was a big part of how they did business for a long time and it hasn't worked for them um, so they need to really look at a lot of things and they have to de decide do they re-sign Taylor Hall or do they not? Do they buy out Jeff Skinner or do they try to trade him and eat some of his money? What do they do with Jack Eichel? Uh, they, they have a lot of questions. They got a lot of questions. It's the Sick Podcast. And once again, it's brought to you by Memo.me. And, uh, of course, you can uh, use code SICK for a 10% discount on video messages from any athletes and celebrities on Memo.me. 
one of which is Pierre Maguire, of course. Uh, two quick ones, one on Toronto and one more on Montreal. Kyle Dubas says he'd love to add a forward as soon as possible. Pierre, they have Matthews, they have Marner, they have Tavares, they have Nylander. Am I missing something, Pierre, or is clearly the game plan there stack up on as much offense as possible and try and blow everyone out of the building? Oh, I think they also want to try to add some depth offense. One of the things I really like that they've done, and I don't know if they're going to keep it together, but Ilya Mikheyev, Pierre Engvall, and uh, Zach Hyman have been an awesome checking line for them, Tony. So I think that that's something that's good. They're going to get Wayne Simmons back here sooner rather than later, but I think they need more depth scoring. I'll use uh, St. Louis as an example. When they won the Cup two years ago, they had a tremendous checking line that produced offense. It was Oscar Sundquist, it was Alexander Steen, and it was Ivan Barbashev. Those guys made a huge difference, Tony, every game. Uh, you go look at how Washington won the Cup. It was depth down the middle. It was Backstrom, it was Kuznetsov, it was Beagle, and it was Lars Eller. Like, so every situation has depth at different positions. I think Toronto wants to add one more depth scorer, and if they do that, I think they have a legitimate chance to compete. All right. Everyone in Montreal in ending is going nuts. The Canadians have gone to overtime eight times this year, Pierre. They've lost every single game. Yeah. And whether it was under Claude Julien or Dominic Ducharme, they want to put Phil Deneau out there to take the draw because winning the draw is important. They have Paul Byron's speed. They use Shea Weber. They've rarely used three forwards at the same time. Ironically, when they have is when they've generated the most amount of offense, but they haven't won a game in overtime all season. What is Pierre Maguire's rule of thumb in overtime? And if you are coaching the Montreal Canadiens or if you're a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, which three players would you want to see on the ice to start a three-on-three? Well, every game is different. Sometimes you got guys that are going, and other times you don't have guys going. So you can't just say, these are the three that start all the time. You know, sometimes you got to look at a player and say, he doesn't have it tonight. I'm going to sit him down. Uh, and so you got to be careful when you say, predetermined, this is what I'm going to do. But the most important thing in three-on-three, I can tell you right now, is puck possession. So you got to manage the puck properly, and you work on that in practice. It starts with the initial faceoff but it comes down to decision-making, filling lanes, and communicating on the ice. If you don't have great puck possession, chances are you're not going to win a lot in overtime. And so that's a big part of it. And then coming up with schemes. If you don't have anything off the initial thrust, taking the puck back, regrouping in the neutral zone and attacking again, making sure your shifts are properly run. There's a lot of different things. But I, I would like – this is what I would do. I won't give you names of players. I'd like an elite centerman that can win draws and skate. I'd like a winger that could really score goals and make plays. And if I didn't have a defenseman that could do that, I'd want another forward on the ice. If I had a defenseman that could do that, and I'll give you an example. If I were New York Rangers, Adam Fox would be every one of my three-on-threes. Adam Fox would be. He's a brilliant, brilliant player. If I were Boston, Charlie McAvoy would be one of my three players all the time. Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. Kale all, the time. In all the time. I got Shaw it. in Ottawa. Everyone in Montreal is talking about how important the fit it is to win the draw. But if that centerman is just good in the draws, but not elite and can manufacture offense, I say, well, make him win the draw and go to the bench. You know who used to do that, Pierre? Scotty Bowman. But there's only one Scotty Bowman who would bring a guy out there to take a face off and then make him go back to the bench for a change. Oh, no, 100%. I mean, I did, I did that in Hartford, and we cut 82 goals against from the year before. And it was not, not a trick that I knew. It's a trick that I learned from Scotty Bowman. Absolutely, 100%. Pierre Maguire, this has been so much fun. Thank you for the honor you gave us in joining us today on the SICK Podcast. Tony, thanks for having me. My pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. Please stay safe, everybody.
Thank you very much. He's Pierre Maguire. I'm Marinero. You can watch us and listen to us at The Sick Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Till we talk to you again next time. Thank you, Pierre. Bye, Tony. Thanks, Pierre. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by MyBookie. Use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid.